0: Just would like to just make a couple of personal comments. Um, First of all, if you're here this morning and you realize, oh my goodness, we've got this pulled pork fundraiser for the student ministry missions trip and you don't have any cash on you, um, Brent over here will fund you to whatever level you want. So, you know, if you want to be generous, fine, just hit up Brent, he'll take care of you Um, and we'll let that just be something between the two of you about paying him back. Is that okay, Brent? You know, you're, you're okay with that? Good, okay. (laughs) Um, I just want to say thank you uh, for so many of you, your expressions of care and love and comfort for Lucy and I in these last few weeks. You know that uh, we've been traveling a lot back and forth to Chattanooga, Tennessee, as her mom declined, and then last weekend uh, I was gone because we led the memorial service and the graveside for her dear mom, and we just are very, very appreciative Uh, of so many of your expressions to us, so thank you. Um, You just need to know that it's kind of hard on me, uh, not just because I really loved her mom, but also as your interim pastor, as much as I want to be there, I also wanted to be here. Um, I feel bad that our sermon series has kind of stopped and started a little bit back and forth because of these travels, and you all have been so understanding, so I'm grateful for that, and can I just say thanks to the elder board for your willingness to release me to be where i needed to be because of our family situation Um, that's meant the world to us Uh, and then i'm also just want to to you all publicly just thank the staff of this church they have been so good in covering the bases while i've been out of town and we've not missed a beat and i'm just very very grateful for the quality of staff that is here at Lakewood Church. So I just want to express that this morning. So again, we've been in and out, hit and miss, but now we're going to come in these last couple of Sundays and finish our sermon series. And so to do that, let's once again just watch our introduction. Ben and Aaron Napier have become celebrities, primarily because of their HGTV show, Home Again, or I mean, Hometown. For the past five years, they have been using their creative design and building skills to renovate and renew historic homes and businesses in their small town of Laurel, Mississippi. Now, Laurel, Mississippi sits on an, uh, a less than memorable exit of I-59, and many consider that the glory days of Laurel have been long gone. Laurel, at one time, was the vibrant center of Mississippi's hard pine region, and yet the mills and the lumber yards had long ago pulled out and put all their manufacturing overseas to the result that the city began to shrink and it began to struggle as businesses stayed empty, as homes stayed empty. But Ben and Aaron are Imagineers, not with Disney, but they are Imagineers in that they had a dream and they were willing to get involved and get their hands dirty. And the result in Laurel has been dramatic. People are beginning to move back into town. People are pulling off the exit to come into Laurel because they want to visit the city. Renewal is happening in that community. And I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating because somebody, and I don't know who, started to dream again because of what happened in Laurel. Their imagination was sparked, and they began to ask the question, what if? What if what's happening in Laurel could happen in another town? What if the renovation work that Ben and Aaron were were doing could be duplicated and have the same kind of effect somewhere else? What if there was a willingness for somebody to risk personal involvement, and financial resources to invest, even though there would be no guarantee of outcomes. Well, the result of somebody doing that kind of a dreaming resulted in HGTV choosing the town of Wetumpka, Alabama, where they brought Aaron and, and Ben in to lead the charge in 12 strategic renovation projects and so they were renovating restaurants and shops and historic homes and public places even a whole block of downtown latumka the hope is that these strategic renovations would ripple out into the whole community hg president janet latman says this she said we've seen the power of what was done in laurel and we wanted to spark that same change in other small towns. Now, regardless of whether you watch HGTV, and regardless of whether you even care about renovation shows, I'm bringing this up to point out the power of dreaming and what can occur. The power of imagination in this specific context, led some people to come together and take a major risk in the hopes that it would impact and change a community literally for generations to come. Now, I bring this up because I have been fascinated to watch this show. It's been a six-part series on Sunday nights, and maybe some of you have watched it. I've been watching it simply out of my fascination That if a secular corporation can dream like this, can imagine a whole town being impacted by their investment, then where are the church dreamers? Where are the followers of Jesus Christ getting on their knees and asking God that by the power of His Holy Spirit, would you spark our imaginations to believe that the best is yet to come? Who among us is daring to ask, what if? What could be possible that is yet ahead for Lakewood that by God's grace we could see impact our community? What what difference would it make if we became a movement once again and it would change things around us forever? In other words, what dreams do we have? Well, as part of our Dream Again sermon series, if you've been with me over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at a few of the snapshots of that first-generation church. And I keep reminding all of us that these glimpses into these churches are not given us as information to satisfy our curiosity, but rather they're given to us to ignite our imagination to believe audaciously. That what happened back then in biblical times could happen here and now. So you remember our snapshots? We examined Acts chapter 2 and how in the power of the Holy Spirit, that early church made learning God's word and loving God's people a major priority. And then we went to the very first Gentile church. In Antioch, Acts chapter 11, and we saw how, under great grieving pain, a church was born that was both deep and wide. So, now we're gonna to come to our third snapshot. It's found in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Grab your Bibles, open there if you would. And as we open to these pages, please understand that we are getting further and further away from Jerusalem and the prophetic explosion that occurred from Joel chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. First, understand the distance is one that is physical. The church is now expanding out, and now we're at 600 miles by road away from Jerusalem. The distance is also one of time. We are now at least 30 years Since the events of Acts chapter 2, the third thing you need to understand is that the distance is one of relationship. The church in Colossae is a second generation church. Paul did not plant it, and these people have never seen his face. So, how is it going in Colossae? Are they a movement or are they a monument? Is the original vision given by Jesus still captivating and compelling people, or has this church settled for an inward-focused, complacent calendar of potlucks? In other words, is anybody asking in Colossae, what if? Well, what does Paul describe for us? Grab your Bibles. Let's start at Colossians 1, but also verse 1. Paul writes and says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Wow. Something wildly wonderful is happening in this second-gen church. So that despite the distance from the original epicenter, despite the years that have already gone by, and despite how it's now different leaders that are involved, the ministry is flourishing. And in Paul's description here in these three verses or four verses, there are two powerful characteristics of the church in Colossae that can help us dream again. What are they? First, did you notice the celebrated reputation of the church? Look at verse 4. Notice how it starts with the words, since we heard. In other words, Paul is rejoicing in his prayers for this church over their reputation not because he planted the church, which he didn't, not because any of them have seen his face, which they haven't. So what has Paul heard? What's the reputation that's come to him? In other words, what are others saying about the church in Colossae? Well, there were three things that people mentioned when this church came up in their conversations. Look at verse 3. Excuse me, start of verse 4. First, They were talking about their faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, the the followers of Jesus in this town were known for being people of faith. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's interesting how Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 describes the lifestyle of a person of faith. When he says these words, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Which means not because our physical senses can validate it, not because our intellect or our wisdom can prove it, But the followers of Jesus have a heartfelt trust that there is a supreme God in heaven who is personally involved with all of His creation every single day. And more specifically, look at that phrase. Look at the object of our faith. It is the person and the work and the words of Jesus. We believe that He is God's Son that has come to earth. We believe that he died as a sacrifice for our sins. We believe that he was raised from the dead on on our behalf. And so the church in Colossae was known and had a reputation across the Roman Empire as having faith, but in Jesus. Second notice, that they were also known for their love for each other. And by the way, Jesus told us that this was going to be one of the indisputable marks of his followers. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, I find it fascinating that the New Testament never mentions that the church, meaning us, the local body of believers, it never mentions that the church will be perfect. Have you noticed that the New Testament never mentions that we will always say the right thing or we will always do the right thing? Rather, what the New Testament describes for us is that there is going to be a messiness when it comes to living in community with each other, and so therefore, over and over again in the New Testament, we are invited to keep loving each other. For example, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, Peter writes and says, above all, Keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Well, since love covers a multitude of sins. Hmm. So this community of believers here in Colossae had a powerful reputation that in their relationships with each other, they sincerely loved one another. Third, people were also talking about this church In Colossae, and their hope in heaven. In other words, when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not talking about wishful thinking. No, it's rather talking about a confident, positive expectation of the future. This church lived in the hope that Jesus was going to come back for them. This church lived in the hope that this life was just a precursor to the main event, which was eternity. This church lived in the hope that one day God was going to make all things new, that he would wipe every tear from our eye, and that one day he was going to bring to full manifestation the kingdom of God here on earth. Hope. And that was the the reputation there of the church in Colossae, a faith in Jesus Christ, a love for one another, and a hope of what was yet coming. So here's the question. Here's a question as I sat back in my chair in my study this week as I was poring over these verses. What should we dream our reputation might be in this community? What would we want our reputation to be? I mean after all this triad of character, faith, hope and love, this is repeated first Corinthians 13:13. 13, 13. Paul says this is part of the excellent way for the followers of Jesus. He makes the comment, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. What's to be our reputation. Let me make a couple of observations. First, when it comes to our church's reputation, faith, hope, and love are not so much what we do as much as it's who we are. And by the way, this is one of the dangers of imagineering. This is one of the dangers of of our imaginations being sparked into action. The danger is that we can immediately begin to think, let's go do something. As in, let's start this study. Let's organize this ministry. Let's get this program off the ground. But what a church does should always be the overflow of their heart. In other words, the essential issue of a church returning to be a movement is not what it does. It's not activity. It's heart change. And when heart change occurs, then the right actions will just automatically begin to flow. Second observation I want to make here. When it comes to our church's reputation, we each contribute to what others in the community say about us. Which means, if we're not happy with Lakewood's reputation, then the place to start is to ask the Lord, Lord, how do I need now to grow then in my faith in Jesus? How do I need to grow in my love for others? How do I need to grow in my hope of the future that the best is yet to come? So I did this first hour. I'm going to do a second hour or two. I've got a challenge for all of us. This is going to probably stretch some of you, and that's okay. It's not a bad thing to be stretched. Um, Here's the challenge. This next week, as you're out and about in the community, I want you to ask three total strangers if they know anything about our church. Do you know anything about Lakewood Church? And if they say yes, then ask them, will you be honest and give me three descriptive words that would summarize our reputation to you? Anybody want to do that with me? Like I said, it's going to be a stretch, but... How good that would be for us. What is our reputation in this community? There's another powerful characteristic about the church in Colossae that can spark our imagination. In fact, the second characteristic actually explains the wonderful reputation that they have. Paul now turns, starting in verse 5, and describes the consistent response of the church. Now, look at verse 4. Notice how verse 4 starts. Since we've heard. Now, in verse 5, he switches to what you have heard. There are three important things that were going on in the church in Colossae. First, they responded to what they heard. And it wasn't from Paul. Remember, we've already talked about this. Paul didn't plant this church. This church was planted and was growing and was being led by a friend of his. Verse 7, it was Epaphras who brought the word of God, first of all, into this town. And when he announced, Epaphras did, when he announced the good news, people did more than just listen. They heard it. Look at the opening phrase of verse 6. The truth, the gospel, which has come to you. In other words, Paul's describing that these people had a personal encounter with truth. In fact, later in that verse, notice how Paul describes you heard and you also understood it, which means a church's character is directly related to the response that each individual member of that church has to God's Word. In other words, are we regularly having a personal encounter with what's written here? Are we allowing it to shape and to mold our values, our beliefs, our attitudes, and our behaviors? Are we hanging on to its promises? Are we allowing it to deepen our love for Jesus. See, our hearing is critical. By the way, hold your finger here in Colossians 1. Turn back, if you would, a little bit earlier in the New Testament to Romans chapter 10, and let's allow Paul to kind of describe how critical it is for people to respond by hearing the Word. Romans chapter 10, Let's start at verse 14. Paul writes and says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Here's the kicker. Here's verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So what we do with what we hear when God's word is taught not only changes our lives, but it determines the character of the church. Second important thing to notice, now back to Colossians 1. Second important thing to notice that's going on here with the way this church responded, and that is Paul makes it a point to mention and to identify that what they heard and responded to was the gospel Again, the end, look at how verse 5 ends. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. And you all know that word gospel literally means good news. And what is good news? Good news is literally telling someone else something that is true that will bring joy to them. In other words, good news is meant to bring a smile to people's faces. And right here is where we often have a problem, not always, but oftentimes we have a problem that when we read that word at the end of verse 5, gospel, we only start to think in terms of information that a person needs to get into heaven. In other words, for most of us, the gospel is the diving board that we launch off of to get into the pool, which is Christianity. That's not the New Testament concept of that word. Rather, the gospel is the pool itself. In other words, it's not only the way that we begin in Christ, it is also the way we daily live in Christ. So instead of the gospel being this one-and-done encounter, oh yeah, I know the gospel, I was saved 35, 40 years ago, and now I've moved on to other things. No, the gospel according to the New Testament, is what we live in each and every day. So each and every day, I need the saving, rescuing work of Jesus Christ from the influence of my world. I need the saving, rescuing work of Jesus from the temptations that Satan puts in front of me. I need the saving and rescuing work of Jesus from my own foolish, self-centered bent of my flesh. Every day I need to walk in the gospel. Every day I need to go deeper in my appreciation of it. In fact, J.D. Greer, in his book, Gospel, writes this. He says, the gospel is not just supposed to be our ticket into heaven. It is to be an entirely new basis for how we relate to God, ourselves, and others. It is to be the source from which everything else flows. So, folks, the good news of the gospel, that we are asked to believe, in essence, is that there is nothing I can do to make God love me more, and there is nothing I can do that will make God love me less. Is that good news or not? It is wonderful news. In other words, out of God's extravagant love for us, He sent Jesus, He came, He lived the perfect life I could never live, and then He died a sacrificial death as the punishment that I deserve to have been punished with, and now He has been raised from the dead, and so not only am I forgiven, but I've been given a brand new life. I'm no longer the same person I used to be. What explains the church at Colossae's reputation? Wow, they powerfully responded to the good news about what God had done for them in Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a third observation here to make. Did you notice that the gospel creates ongoing change? Again, notice verse 6. Again, the gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world What's it doing? It's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. The power of the gospel is that it changes lives. Paul uses those words, it bears fruit and it is increasing. Which tells us something important. That the gospel is not a philosophy of life to accept. The gospel is not a set of rules to obey Rather, the gospel has every intention to move into a person's heart and bring transformation. And when we believe the good news, when we put our trust in it, a spiritual transaction occurs and we're no longer the same person. That's why Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 is such an important verse to memorize. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now look again at verse 6. Look at those, that phrase, bearing fruit and increasing. That means also the gospel and its work does not stop with me. Rather, it's to spread out from my life like ripples in a pond. Once I've been changed, once I am continually changed each and every day, I then can't help but tell other people the good news of what's going on inside of me because of the work of the gospel inside me. You see why I was so impressed? That the work of what was going on in Laurel, Mississippi became the dream of what could possibly happen in Wetumpka, Alabama. So in the very same way, what happened in Jerusalem, what happened in Antioch, and what was happening in Colossae is meant to spark our dreams of what could happen at Lakewood. And all it takes are for some people to come together and on the basis of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit to start audaciously asking, what if? Erin Napier was interviewed by a reporter from USA Today. And in the interview, she made this observation. She said, people really want to believe in a bright future in a place where they live, but rebuilding a town is no small feat. It takes every member of that community using their gifts and skills coming together to make a difference. As we close Let me take that quote from Aaron Napier. Let me shift or switch out a couple of words because I think it's so fitting to our situation. People really want to believe in a bright future in the place where they live, but rebuilding a church is no small feat. It takes every member of that faith community using their gifts and skills, coming together to make a difference. Who's willing to come together to make a difference? Who's ready to dream again? Let's pray. Father, apart from the work that you want to do in and among us by your Holy Spirit, none of this is possible. And so, Father, we want to intercede and ask that you would write new stories of redemption here. We are thankful for those of the past. We don't ignore those. But, Father, we're hungry for more. We're thirsty for more. To see you at work in our day in a way that is not explainable by human effort, but only by the power and work of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we want to have the audaciousness to pray for this. That we would be a gospel-saturated church. That our reputation in this community might be one of faith, hope, and love. Not for man's glory. No, Lord, not to us. Not to us. But to your name be the glory. And so, Father, we pray pray that you would do what only you can do to allow us to have the privilege of being a movement once again for the sake of people coming to know Jesus Christ and entering in to eternity, to becoming part of this large family that's all over the world. So, Father, we want to believe that what you did in Jerusalem, what you did in Antioch, and what you did in Colossae was meant to spark something deep inside of us. And so, would you please do that? Help us as a church dream again. And may all of our dreams, may all of that which we want to imagine by asking the question, what if, be focused on Jesus Christ being glorified in our midst. And so, it is to Him we pray Amen.